0: Okay, well, welcome to the Apprentice Worldwide Meet the CEO series. And guys, I I cannot I cannot, uh, I cannot uh, control my excitement because for many reasons because. This friend of mine, finally, one of his dreams uh, uh, has, has come true, something that he's worked very hard on. But most importantly, Tony and I met in my first job, right? At, at your age, most of the guys that are here, and uh, I got assigned to Tony, and Tony and I, he's not that much older, but he, he's been a, uh, a, uh, a driving force in in, um, in business, taught me a lot of things. You know, his family uh, are well known to me. And, uh, you know, this is this is a close friend of mine that I've cultivated a relationship for more than 20 years. And this is the result, right? We get together and we share our, our, our lives and we celebrate. If you see my background, right? This is the Freedom Tower uh, in Miami. Those like, guys that are not in Miami will know this is an important place for, for Tony and his family. And, uh, you know, I, I'm celebrating today with a cigar Usually, at a cigar shop. I'll be normally with Tony smoking in his house. But today I'm in Western in meetings, but I wanted to celebrate this accomplishment. But before I do that, Tony, why don't you talk a little bit about your career? And, you know, when you started uh, around the age of, uh, of all these people, uh, you want to share your story. This is this is a good opportunity.
1: Well, I'll try and make it brief, uh, but yeah, I, my background and my family's background going all the way back to Cuba amongst other businesses was the tire business. Um, so since basically the 1940s in Cuba, my family uh, has been in that business. I grew up in the business basically because my father had a distribution company here in Miami back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and then at one point or another in late 80, in the late 80s, my, my parents decided to move overseas to Venezuela uh i went there for about a year um it was hard for me because i was just coming out of high school and um you know i went over there and i didn't have really my friends my girlfriend was here in miami and that kind of thing so i decided to come back on my own and in 1992 i started my own company called tire group international some other things happened there in between i opened up a little trading company and Went to work for another tire distributor called Tire Kingdom, which I'm sure you guys, if you live in Florida, you know who that is. It's it's a very large company at the time. It was owned by Michelin, um, but all that was always geared to to me going on my own and and, and starting a business uh, in the tire industry, which is what I knew and what I had grown up doing. Um, and and that's what, something I always say to to people that I talk to when I. When I talk to seniors in high school or college kids or whatever, I always tell them, you know, if, if you've got a family that's in a business that you've grown up in, kind of, you know, it's it's so natural for you to just kind of fall into that and follow that route and follow that road. If I see a lot of, you know, kids that fathers are doctors, they become doctors or lawyers, they become lawyers. Um, it's just a natural thing. You grow up around it um, and, and you shouldn't push away from that. That's kind of, you know, uh, in your blood to a certain extent. So basically, that's uh, that's how I, I started my company in 1992. I started with a partner, uh, which to this day, we're still partners in many other businesses. Uh, that's another thing. Pick the people you're going to work with uh, intelligently and, and without emotion in terms of make sure you could work with that person. Um, and then always have an open communication, never disrespect each other. Um, so with, with that said, you know, Tire Group from day one grew very quickly. Uh, tire Group, uh, it wasn't by accident. It was by working smart. I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you worked hard. If I worked hard, I, was, I, was, I, was, I don't consider that the way to go. I always tell people, don't work hard, work smart. Love what you do. Do it with a passion and do it smartly. Um, and then it won't be difficult. And yeah, there's going to be difficult times because that's part of any business, but you've got to put in the time and you've got to put in the effort and you just can't give up. I always tell people, you never know when you're, you're about to score unless you continue to try. Some people give up and they were already on the one yard line and they were about to score. Um, and that's part of, that goes for anything in life, whether it's your own business whether it's, you know, in a relationship, whatever it may be, there's always, I feel, a moment where you, in like a roller coaster, you you kind of come, start coming down, and it's effortless, um, so yeah, Tire Group took about uh, 15 years, 16, 17 years to get to that point, so it was a struggle for many, many years, they always say the most difficult time in a business is the first few years, well, for Tire Group, it was about 15, 16 years, and it wasn't for it was it was really we were a victim of our own success. we We outgrew our capital constantly uh, and none and was in the banking business so he knows that very clearly. We were always having to borrow more money trying to borrow more money. the banks wouldn't give us more money and our sales kept growing and and it was it was kind of you know businesses could fail for many reasons they could fail for bad you know bad bad management they could fail for a whole host of reasons but one of the Worst things that could happen is you fail because you're successful, really. Uh, and and you just can't, you can't, you don't have enough capital to sustain your growth. So that's something you always got to be very cognizant of. And, and, and that's why it takes a lot of money sometimes to properly finance businesses. Um, so with that said, you know, over time, you know, like I said, at the 15, 16 year mark, we really started moving fast and things started going really well because we got property. By that point in time, we found a bank that was really wor- willing to work with us and our balance sheet was strong enough to sustain, you know, a, a larger line of credit, et cetera, et cetera. So when, when we made that move, it was, it was, you know, we just exploded. And uh, by year 20, by year 20, which was, I guess, when was that 2011? Uh, yeah, end of 2011. We got approached by a conglomerate or a private equity company called Transportation Resource Partners, which is part of an organization of a gentleman called Roger Penske, which is you a know, billionaire investor, uh, business owner here in, in America. He owns uh, Penske Corp, which is rental trucks, logistics, racing teams, both in Indy and NASCAR. Uh, the guys owns multiple manufacturing companies, uh, just a a tremendous entrepreneur, a a very dedicated guy to his businesses. The guy he's, he's 80 some odd years old now. I think he's 80, 85, 86 still works every day, travels the world. He has over almost 500 uh, car dealerships around the world. He visits each one of those twice a year. At all times of the I mean, sometimes he's doing these inspections at three, four in the morning uh, where he walks in and meets with the management and just makes sure. So, again, that's something that I that's someone that I learned from, obviously, just seeing how dedicated he was to his businesses and 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 how he knew the details of every business, including our business. And we're not uh, we're not a small business, but we're not, you know, as big as his other businesses, but he took the time to understand our business to look at the numbers to be able to discuss them with me and, and the board and, and everything and give us his opinion etc so uh anyway at that point in time though when when you know we we what we ended up doing was selling the majority of the company to to this group transportation resource partners um and I still own a piece of the company and so does a group of the management that was rewarded with stock and 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 you know uh, that kind of thing when, when we made the sale because of their dedication to the company. That's another thing, nobody does it alone. Uh, I certainly didn't do it alone. I have a very dedicated core group of people uh, at Tire Group International that's been with me. I mean, there's of the 120 team members and notice that we, we don't call our people employees, we call our people team members. Employees to me is a very derogatory thing. I think everyone is equal. In, in, in what they do and whether you're the guy sweeping the floor or the guy selling 10 million dollars a year or the guy that's counting the number whatever you're doing every piece of a company depends on the other and we're all equal in what we you know in the dedication we need we need to have to the company the loyalty we need to have to the company so with that said um you know the the core of our company which is probably about 40 people at this point that have been with the company in excess of 15 years and that's something i'm very proud of even the warehouse uh turnover in our company is is very slight i mean the average tenure in the warehouse for us is five years uh, we have guys in the warehouse that have been there over 20 years uh but a five-year mark for warehouse operations an average tenure is very strong it just uh we have a very structured system in our company, but we also have a very family-oriented system in our company. Um, you know, we we've never allowed politics or gossip. People that that are disruptive don't last there. And they don't last there not because we necessarily fire them, simply because the rest of the group doesn't, doesn't allow them, doesn't allow them in. And they eventually leave. I mean it's it's I've always said it, I've rarely had to fire someone. Uh, that I've wanted them, that I've wanted to be gone. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but if someone doesn't fit in a short amount of time, they they, they just go because they know that they're not going to be able to slack. They know that they're not going to be, you know, covered for by others, that others are going to demand excellence from them because that's what it takes to succeed and to be number one. And our company, you know, did grow to be the largest Hispanic tire company in the world, uh, doing business in over 80 countries, doing business in over 40 states here in this country. Uh, We manufacture six or seven of our own brands in in all these different countries, including China, Thailand, Vietnam, India, Sri Lanka, Taiwan, Um, even in the US, we've manufactured before, Um, again, our own brands that that we then market globally. Um, so once I, I got into the position of, of selling the company, uh, you know, I stayed on as CEO and chairman of the board, um, under contract for a period of three years. When those three years were up, my brother at the time had already come on board and was working with the company even before we, we got bought out. Uh, but at that point in time, I told the board that I was no longer interested in being there full time, that I wanted to pursue other, other, Interest of mine, which you know, in my in the back of my mind, I always thought to myself, I have a philosophy, and it's not my philosophy. It's something that I read over the years, and I, maybe maybe some of you have heard it, which basically says you die three times: you die the day your heart stops beating, you die the day that you are, um, I'm sorry, you're, you the when you take your last breath, when okay, yeah, I'm sorry, your day the day <laughs> the day your heart stops beating, the day you're buried or cremated. And the third one is the day that someone mentions your name for the last time on this earth. In other words, be memorable and you live forever. Um, And, you know, by even me talking to you guys right now, hopefully there are things that I'm saying to you, which you will remember in your life. And you're going to go, oh, that one guy, Tony Gonzalez, that told me this on, you know, 20 years ago. I still remember that. He said, work smart, don't work hard. Just that little tidbit, you know, is something that is satisfying for my soul. So with that said, I said to myself, well, I've created this company, but it's a distribution company. I'm selling a product from point A to point B, making a profit in between. And that's all I do. And, you know, will anyone remember that 20 years from now? Well, hopefully the company's still around 20 years from now. But, you know, it's one of those things where you're not really leaving a, a big mark. And I've always been a very creative person. It's, it's one of the reasons why you know, I think our company did very well is we did things a little different than our competition. We we just were more creative. And in business, you know, creativity takes many forms. Uh, uh, and it could be everything from how you portray your image to how you run your business creatively and come up with different methods and ways of doing things, whether it be accounting-wise or or how you even warehouse the tires to get maximum... Uh, utilization out of your space and all those things we were very good at we were very creative with because that's something that I always you know asked our people to just bring any idea think outside the box um and I know that's cliche but it's true you got to have people that are willing and then you got to back them up when they come up with an idea and say yeah let's try it what's the worst that could happen we lose a couple of bucks but we tried it and if it works we're going to save a couple of bucks and we're going to be you know more efficient um so in my, in the back of my mind, I always talk to myself, well, if I if I do something in the music business and the, or in the film business, those are things that will last forever. That those are things that if you record a song or if you if you make a film, you know, whether it's watched by a lot of people now or or you know, or not many people, whatever, in in 20, 30, 40 years, that film is still there and someone's gonna watch it. You know, somebody's gonna say, Oh, let me see what this film's about, and you know, so that was something that drove me into into that world and when i told the board hey look i want to go do these other things they said well wait a second you can't leave you're the founder everybody knows you you're the the spirit of the company i go yeah well i want to go do these other things and we came to an agreement that instead of working 80 hours a week at at tire group i'd I'd be let off the hook and only work 40 hours a week and then i could have time to do these other things in you know in, in my spare time um, so that's how it went. And that was back in 2014. And I started in the music business, which I don't recommend. <laughs> it's a very, very difficult business. And again, I did it blindly out of passion and without really studying the landscape too well because it wasn't going to deter me. It was, you know, I, I, I always kind of have been the type of person that I've learned from failure. And I just don't fail twice the same way. I find different ways to fail. Uh, and once, if you're right just once, you'll get through the, the eye of the needle. Uh, so and 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 I, I never even graduated from college. I went to college for, for a, a little less than two years. I just had, you know, the calling was to go to work and everything and, and again I think just with logic and determination, you know, that takes that could take you a very long way. Um, now, going back to the, the, the music business, what I should have known and what I should have studied was that the music business is controlled by three companies, basically. It's Sony, Warner and Universal. They control 90% of the market. The other 10% is left for all the independent labels and there's some very large independent labels. So by the time you come into it as a, as a minor small label, which I had created called Rock the Moon um, and signed some local talent here in Miami, um, et cetera, you, you have a very, you have an uphill battle and it's, it's obviously a business I didn't know. Again, a very important thing is the connections you make now as young people will carry you through life. So it's very important that you're out there meeting people, connecting with people that 10 years from now you may run into. And that person's in a position where they could help you, you could help them, and, and, and that relationship, you could go, man, like Hernan said at the beginning of the conversation, I've known Tony over 20 years now. And that is irreplaceable. Even though we may not see each other every day, if Hernan calls me, I'm going to pick up the phone and, and hear him out. And he's going to do the same for me. So that's something that you, you must understand as a young person, that those relationships and putting yourself out there uh, and, and getting into you know all these different things that that you can in terms of networking and stuff is crucial uh you know uh, shy people don't get a lot done you can't you cannot be shy unless you're maybe a genius like a zuckerberg or whatever that made you know a fortune out of his closet but you know that's not that's not the the way that it usually happens you just got to be out there and and, and creating relationships um, so yeah, it was very difficult for those reasons. I, I don't regret it. I, I, I invested a lot of money. Uh, fortunately I had the money to invest, uh, and it wasn't going to take food off of my table. Uh, but I had a very good time doing it. I, I was able to explore a side of me that, that, you know, very few people get to do. I've actually written and ha- had recorded over 10 songs. I actually get a check every quarter from ASCAP, which is the association of, a, of writers and publishers as a songwriter. I get to vote on both the Latin Grammys and the American Grammys as a member of the Academy. So those are all cool things that I could carry with me forward. And as I get older, em, you know, embellish them more and you know, and, and think about them, you know. So that's kind of like a, a joke that I have in my mind is, as I get older. I've got all these things to talk about on the music side. Um, and, and you know, I, I still make royalties off some of the songs that we've created and, and the albums that we put out throughout the years uh, with uh, bands, a local band here in Miami, Locos por Juana, very talented Colombian, Cumbia, Reggae kind of bands. Um, you can look them up. They're great. Um, I also have a, an older gentleman that had never gotten a chance named Tomas Diaz. he He was formerly a member of the Spam All Stars, was also with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band for a while. Um, and and again, I had Osmani Garcia for a while, a reggaeton guy, that wasn't great. Although he was profitable of all the ones that I had signed to the label. And then I have another guy on the label named uh, LB, which is, that's that's a thing of, of pride and a, a guy that's incredible in terms of what he does. LB is a member of a group called Los Aldeanos from Cuba, and they are conscientious rappers. LB. Came to the United States about four or five years ago because basically he was going to be thrown in jail for 20 or 30 years. LB for 15 years within Cuba was singing against the dictatorship. Incredible, they couldn't touch him though because he was. They were so popular with the youth that the youth would have revolted, and that, that's the one thing the government was smart about. They they stopped him from being able to sing and stuff, but the lyrics that this guy wrote and the things that he said about the government you would think they would have put him away and it got to a point at the end where they were going to because it was it was he had gotten they had gotten too popular but anyway he's continued to fight he's continued here in Miami and I'm, I'm really proud of that guy that guy is a poet I'm a lyrical poet he's he's world he's world famous I mean that guy's done incredible things in the in the music business so I'm, I'm proud that he's still with our label and So I'm not really active there, but I still have a couple of these guys signed and I support them in different ways and that kind of thing. Now, the music got me into the film and in the film business, uh, I've been a lot more successful Uh, and it's a very difficult business. Again, very small, closed kind of community at the highest levels in terms of Hollywood. It's something that you know, again, people work their lives to network and get into. But in 2014, when I started in the music business and I went to shoot my first music video, which, uh, I mean, the first music video that I shot, I never thought I'd do anything else. And I brought in Flavor Flav to be in the video, Eric Estrada, Alicia Machado, the former Miss Universe, I have from you guys that are here in Miami, Pepe Villete, uh, Carlos Oliva, which is a very famous Cuban singer. I have all these different eclectic people in, in the video. It's called Suki, S-U-K-Y. Um, and I actually wrote that song as well. If you want to look it up later, it's it's a really fun video. It's uh, I tried to recreate something like Tamacarena with its own little dance and... I actually helped create the dance. I'm not much of a dancer, but I kind of did all these things. So I had a, a blast doing it. Um, but going back to the film side, during the filming of that, I meet uh, a young guy, a millennial, um, my, my partner to this day on the film side, uh, a guy named JD Frakesis. And he had gone to film school. He had done the whole Hollywood thing. He had come back to Miami kind of disheartened because he had a bunch of different projects and you know, nothing ever got done. And that's how Hollywood is. It's an uphill battle. Uh, and you've got to be in the game for a long time in order to really get things done. But he brought with him uh, an idea for this film called Vandal because he came from the graffiti world and, and that was kind of his background. And that's how far I, I initially get into, into the uh, the film business in 2014. And here we are in 2021 and the film's just getting released even though we filmed it back at the end of 2016 and, and 2017. So that film, I ended up co-writing with him, and we hired a couple of writers from, from the West Coast as well from L.A uh, to help us with the structure. We knew the story, we knew the lingo, we knew what we wanted to show of Miami and of you know the Cuban culture uh, as much as we could within you know the, the, the context of the film. So that was really the first thing that took me into the film business and. Like you know, uh, Hernan just said, we just released the film this week. Uh, it's available on Apple, on Amazon, on DirecTV, on Voodoo, you name it. It's on, it's it's available on demand on all the major platforms. And if you wanna you could also go to Vandal Movie or Vandal the Movie or Vandelmovie.com. I think it's Vandal moviecom and you have a links there to all the platforms that it's available on. So Um, That was, again, a blast to co-write and to develop, Uh, and we did that for almost two years before we started shooting, but then when we started shooting, the the 30 days leading up to the shoot and the 30 days of the shoot itself were the most difficult thing that I've done in terms of business in my life. And I've done a lot of big deals. I've done a lot of big things uh, around the world, but it was just so intense to bring this production together with over a hundred people in the production crew, with actors flying in from different parts of the world with schedules, with contracts from catering companies to locations, to you name it, to to how you know the equipment. It was it was so overwhelming. We're talking. Once we actually got into production, which we shot for about 27, 28 days, we're talking 20 hour days, no sleep. And every day trying to, you know, make sure that the location, uh, there were days that we were going to shoot tomorrow and we still didn't have a location. We, we uh, you know, how we, but that's what, what, how filming works and, and how production works. It, it somehow all comes together when it has to come together. You've got to work for it. You know, but some it's magical at times, and you know, like like I said, we didn't have a location for tomorrow, but we at the last minute that afternoon we found a spot. We adapted the, the writing to fit what we were gonna shoot, and boom! All of a sudden, that scene came out great. You just gotta again, it's like life. You gotta adapt. You gotta react quickly, and and you just once you're on the horse, you can't you can't jump off. You gotta keep. You gotta stay on it somehow. Grab onto the tail, to the reins to whatever so that's how vandal came about and like i said very proud of the film i think it shows a side of miami that's rarely seen it's very gritty very real the acting's great we, we were able to you know at the time we were represented by um caa which is the largest agency in the world uh you know for actors producers you name it uh creative arts agency and uh they hooked us up with some actors that were up and coming within their system and, and we got some great actors that have gone on to do a bunch of different big things, series on HBO and Showtime, uh, big movies. Uh, our bad guy was in, you know, Southpaw. He was in uh, Death Wish 2. He was in uh, The Good Guys. Um, all those, you know, like, again, very, very fortunate to get that type of talent. And they they, they, they committed to the film, which is great. Um, so from there, my partner had another project, and this has been the biggest thing that I that I've done in Hollywood. Uh, my partner had another project that he had been working on for years. It's it was called the It's called the corporation. It was about really the Cuban mafia. And if you notice, there's a there's a theme here, which is we want to bring stories, or I wanted to bring stories about our culture, about our people, whether good, bad, or indifferent. History needs to be told by the people that lived it, not by you know some guy in in hollywood that's never you know eating a cuban sandwich or drank a cafecito to come and tell like scarface oliver stone what does he know about cubans yet he did scarface so he makes it look like a character of what he envisions a cuban you know uh, drug dealer to be loved the movie it was great i've seen that movie a hundred times it's to me it's kind of at, at times very comical but it's not real and and what the world now thinks of you know, Cuban drug dealer is that he's Tony Montana, you know, and fuck you every other word and say hello to my little gun and those type of cliche things. So our, our, our objective was to go out there and, and put together some, some real stories. And with a corporation, uh, my partner had been on this for a while. Uh, I did a little digging on the project and I said, yeah, this is going to be our next one. And the way we went about that, which is really the roadmap that I've created now towards uh, developing uh, projects is we actually went out and found an author to write this book for us. We had the detective that had chased this mafia, this Cuban mafia guy for 20 years. We had we already had him committed to doing the project with us and telling us the story. Uh, we had the uh, the Cuban mafia guy's attorney that was willing to talk as well and we had his best friend that had been with him for over 35 years in the business that was still alive he was 80 some odd years old but he was willing to talk to us as well so with those three key pieces oh and by the way the detective had over 50 uh bank boxes of evidence and surveillance tapes and all kinds of archival stuff that was irreplaceable to you know or a very no one could get he had it so we went out and we started interviewing all these different authors. And, you know, my partner wasn't really shooting for the top authors. And I'm, I was telling him, no, 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 this, this guy sucks. I would read a few chapters of, of the guy's book. No, I don't like that guy. Let's, Until one day he says, well, look, this is the best, best author in, in, its class, in, in this class of nonfiction crime. And his name is T.J. English. Read, read this book. It was called Havana Nocturne. If any of you like history, Havana Nocturne is an incredible book. It's about the, the mafia and how they controlled Cuba basically from the 1920s to the nine, to 1959 when Fidel takes over. And again, when I say the mafia, in this case, it was the the uh, Italian mafia and the Jewish mafia. Uh, Meyer Lansky, uh, uh, Sam Giancana, Lucky Luciano, all those guys. So I started reading that book. I get three or four chapters in. I go, oh, this is our guy. And I call my partner and I go, hey, this is our guy. And he goes, yeah, but this guy is impossible. This guy has got you know, a book deal at William Morrow, which is a division of, uh that big publishing house. Uh, anyway, huge publishing house with the biggest in, in the world. Um, and I go, listen, let's get on the phone with this guy. Let's talk to our agent. Let's, let's get a call. This went on literally for two months. Again, my partner being younger, I'm going to say, listen, we get on the phone with him. The only thing you could say to us is no. And what did we lose? We lost nothing. Oh, no, but you don't understand. I go, get me on the, what? anyway, long story short, we got on the phone with the guy and we didn't even, we weren't really supposed to be talking to him. We were supposed to be talking to his agent up in New York and we tell his agent, hey, look, you know, we're two guys from Miami. We've got all this, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden a voice comes out in the background of the call And it's TJ English himself. And he says, you guys have what? I've been wanting to write this story for 20 years, but none of these Cubans will ever talk to me, blah, 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 blah. And he's like freaking out that we have what we say we have. He goes, if you guys have all this, I'm writing the book. Like right there and then the deal is done. So again, it just goes to show that, you know, you can never not try. You can never not push because, Again, shyness, being embarrassed, you know, being afraid of failure. Those are all the things that will hold you back. So, again, big lesson there. Uh, My partner was like, man, I can't believe we got that. I go, well, because we tried and we got the guy. And we ended up basically setting a record in Hollywood for the most money ever paid for a book proposal by Paramount uh, because we went out before we even had the book done. And we went out with basically an outline of what the book was going to be. The the book ended up being a 600-page book. It's a masterpiece. And we went out with like 140-page, 120-page book proposal. And we end up partnering with Leonardo DiCaprio and Appian Way um, and another company called The Picture Company, which you've seen their movies. They've done a ton of movies. And Paramount ends up being the studio that that pays us for the, the intellectual property that is the book that the film will be based on. And that I mentioned, Benicio Del Toro is set to star in the film. So that's what we created out of the corporation. That was in 20, 2017, here we are in 2021 and the movie still hasn't gotten done but that's typical in Hollywood. Most of these big budget, bigger movies take a long time. We've been through two versions of a script with two different writers. They still haven't nailed it as much as, as, much as we've tried. We've taken, we've even, we took one of the writers even at Cuba. I mean, we've we've as producers because my partner and myself didn't just option the property. We actually stayed on as producers as well, alongside Leonardo DiCaprio and 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 a couple other guys. So yeah, it takes a long time, and you just got to keep keep moving. and And now we're actually talking about switching gears, and instead of making a movie out of it, making a, a series out of it, a, a, you know, like a Netflix series out of it or something like that. So that's in the works right now. There's, uh, there's still, it still has momentum because the material is really good. And since then, you know, I've, I've basically been involved in two other books, uh, one called Dirty Gold, which is about gold smuggling, illegal gold smuggling, the largest case ever in the, history of the United States, $4 billion in about three years by a company here in Miami. Um, and that one is also, I'm partnered also with Leonardo DiCaprio on that one. Uh, and uh, we've taken it out to market, and Peacock right now, NBC, is very interested in it, so fingers crossed on that. That book was written by four Pulitzer Prize-winning Miami Herald writers, and the reason that I own the rights to that book is because when that story first broke, it broke, and there was a very, there was a key person in Chile that was Supplying these smugglers a large portion of the uh, gold that they were bringing in. And he was a young kid in his 20s named Harold Vilches. And when we read about that, I immediately got my contacts in Chile to contact him and I bought his life rights before anyone else. So now I had the king or the chess piece that everybody needed if they were going to write the story the right way because they needed to talk to him because he knew everything that had been done and how it was done. And so once I had that chess piece, now all these people that wanted to write the book had to come to me. So again, strategically thinking, uh, like I think in business, that was the move. And it didn't cost a lot. I mean, I paid this guy $10,000 for a year and well, $10,000 a year. And I, I ended up paying him, I think, for about two years or three years. Um, but it bought me the time and it bought me the leverage to be able to then tell the writers, hey, you want to write the book? Partner with us. We'll, we'll keep the TV and film rights and you keep the publishing rights. And, you know, it's a marriage made in heaven. They could write their book because not only did we have him as a resource, we had other resources in Latin America in this world, including the U.S. Uh, federal attorney, which is a friend of mine that was willing to talk to us about the case. So we opened doors as well, which is what producers do. Uh, and then lastly, uh, this is the biggest project we think we have, uh, even bigger than the corporation, is uh, a book that's being written right now by the same author, TJ English, because we became very good friends with this uh, Irish author. Um, and again, he's a world class author. Uh, and we have the rights, the, the life rights to a guy named Willie Falcone. I don't know if you guys have seen on Netflix, a documentary called Cocaine Cowboys. Uh, It's basically about this guy and his partner's life, but we actually have the guy. He wasn't in the documentary, neither was any of his inner circle. The only people in the documentary were the snitches and federal law enforcement, which we have them too in our project. But the main thing we have is that we have the drug kingpin himself telling his story for the first time and setting the record straight because nothing in that documentary is, is very accurate. I mean. When you hear the story from the guy that did it you get the details where he was meeting how he was meeting how much. i mean the government for example attributes two billion dollars that he imported worth of uh, cocaine over a 15-year period and the number is over 21 billion which in today's money is over 50 billion uh and and that's all factual i mean there's there's records that that are available to prove that so again we got his life rights we got the author and that book is right now at the proposal stage. So we we just you guys know something that not too many people know. This this proposal just went out into Holly in, in Hollywood this week. So we are going through the same process we did with a corporation, where all these companies now will start bidding on the project, and that's a, that's what that, that's how we set the record with a corporation. I and mean, we had Paramount ended up with it, and, and Appian Way, and and you know they partnered with us, but you know we had every major studio, Sony, Warner, Universal. You name it; everyone was bidding on that property, and hopefully, that's what will happen next week with the last kilo. Uh, and uh, and we're super excited about that. So, you know, I also have bought book rights to other books. I, I own uh, "Waiting for Snow in Havana" and "Learning to Die in Miami," which are two books written by a Yale professor named Carlos ID, a Cuban uh, Yale professor, and they're they're the story of kids that came through the Peter Pan airlift back in the 60s from Cuba. Um, so I don't know, you see this pattern, it's a lot of Miami-based Cuban uh, stuff, but that's who I am, that's where I came from, and these are the stories that I want to tell. Um, so yeah, those are the things that we got going on. There's a, there's a few more things in the oven, but not worth talking about at this point in time. But that's kind of how it's gone about, you know, the music and the film business and, and my oh, yeah. career. With that I was going to ask you,
0: you didn't talk about your art, which is also a beautiful thing that I know that you're passionate about.
1: Yeah. uh, Thank you. Uh, Yeah. You know, when I got around uh, again, when I got into the music business, I started writing songs. It's something that's in me that just I it's it's I never even knew it was there because I was always in the tire business. I only really only did one thing. But, yeah, when I got around all these artists, when we were doing Vandal, which is a film, again, about graffiti, and I was around all these graffiti artists, and I'm sitting there watching them work and putting up the murals for the movie, and, and again, we did a lot of artwork for the movie, something just came over me, I said, I, I could do this, I could, I could do this, just like I, you know, I started writing songs, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm like, kind of, I can't keep a beat, I, I, I can't, I can't keep a beat yet I could write songs because I write mathematically. And in my head, the words fall into place with some, I I can't explain it. The other crazy thing is that I'm colorblind. So I paint and I paint very colorful. I don't know if you could see back there. Let me turn on the light back there a little bit. Um, Can you see behind me? There's a thing on the wall there, watch. I don't know why that light's not turning on. Hold up. Okay, here we go. Okay, you see it back there, that pink? That's one of mine. It's very, very colorful and and kind of, I, I don't know. It's just weird because I don't know what the colors are. I could see colors. I'm just, I get like blues and purples mixed up, greens and oranges and, but I paint my way and, you know, comes out. If you guys want to see some of the art, you go to my Instagram page. It's uh, at Tetazo17, T-E-T-A-Z-O 17. And you'll see all the stuff that I do there. But yeah, it's, uh, I got around all these artists and I got inspired. And the only thing I was ever taught is one of the guys, I said to him, one of the artists, I said to him, let's go buy stuff. I don't even know what to buy so I could go home and paint. And we went to an art store, bought all this stuff, bought some canvases. I brought him home and he goes, well, let me tell you. I go, no, 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 no. I don't want you to tell me what to do because I'm also from the school of thought that I want to create something my own way. I don't want to be influenced by someone to tell me what to do because then my mind has already narrowed. I want to keep all my options open. He goes, okay, okay, okay. Just let me tell you one thing. I go, okay, tell me one thing. He goes, you can never make a mistake. Whatever you do, keep going. Whatever you feel at the moment that's not right, don't turn back. Keep going. And that was the best piece of I get chills. That was the best piece of advice because it's kind of like in life. What are you going to do after you've made a mistake? What are you going to do? Sit around and feel sorry for yourself? What are you going to do? You know, like regret and bullshit move forward leave that in your rearview mirror keep going you you'll discover new things you'll discover new ways and and before you know it you're in a whole new place that you never even thought you'd get to and um and that's kind of how it started with the art i mean i i just started getting you know uh better at it i you know and i don't want to toot my own horn but i've i've created some stuff where i've looked at i've gone how the hell did i do that well, I don't even know where it came from. I don't know where it came from because you really, if you're, when you paint, I've painted before 15 hours without stopping. It's like this crazy thing that, that overcomes you. um, And you just get really into it and really focused and time just flies and, and whatever. It's just a really cool thing to do at times, you know, Um, you gotta be in the mood. uh, That's for sure. But if you, if you get, if it strikes you, go for it. I recommend it. You cannot make a mistake.
0: Brother. So you just gave a master class here for all of us. I'm going to have to, you know, look at this video again, and I, so many bits and pieces of, uh, of advice, but I want to, I want to ask you, why did it take so long? Because you know that I'm you know I'm a singer. I've been singing since I was, uh, you know, six years old, and I do it right. I, yeah. Sometimes people people expect the perfect situation, and when you do it, you just do it, right? I want to build a business. I built it. I don't wait till I have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars saved to start my work. I just do it, right? And eventually, mm-hmm. if it pans out into money, good. But the the artist in me, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't stop creating. It right? doesn't stop creating. Number one and number two. That you said something about legacy, right? And, uh, and Apprentice Worldwide is all about legacy, building your network and, and leaving something for the future generations to, to enjoy, which is, you know, what I tell these guys here is, and by the way, most of the people here graduated already and are working. But what I tell these people is that the relationships are more important than anything. Sometimes we, we put other things uh, along the way, like how many times you told me no, right? Uh, many times you told me no. And we still did business. And, and even if we didn't, didn't do business, my relation with you is more important than anything because I know that's mm-hmm. what, that, that, that's what uh, fills my heart and that's what allows for other things to happen now and in the future, right? I learned so much about Cuban culture. So I'm Puerto Rican, right? Uh, and you, 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 you produce uh, Nicky Jam and some of these artists as well. And uh, and
1: again, yeah, uh, That what what I've done lately is I've actually gotten into directing. Well, I've I've always direct like a lot of the music videos we did for the groups in our in our uh, on our label and stuff. I directed uh, or I created the the concepts for what the video is going to be. So I've produced them, but I just got hired uh, a few months ago and I've done three live streamings for McDonald's. Uh, One of them was with uh, Manuel Turizo which is a great kid. His music's awesome. I'm not a big reggaeton guy, but his lyrics have a lot of meaning for being reggaeton. Uh, the uh, other one was Nikki Jam. And then those two are out already, and you can see them on their Facebook channels, Manuel's and Nikki's. And then the one that comes out this Sunday is with two girls, uh, a girl named Kazoo from Argentina, which is awesome. Uh, again, she looks really rough and tough, but wow, she's that girl's a... She, there's something she has this thing when she walked into the room you could just tell the difference between a person that is a star and someone that just is there kind of faking it and she's a star uh and then the other girl that we also filmed in the same one is a girl named mariah angelique which is actually a cuban girl from from Aalia that's done pretty well too uh so that'll come out this sunday on it'll be on their facebook uh pages as well uh So yeah, that's been, that's been fun. It's been challenging. As a matter of fact, when I get off this call, I've got to review the final edit of the, uh, of what's coming out on Sunday. That it takes a lot of time.
0: Awesome. So again, I go back to, to when you were selling tires, right. And, and, and where you are today, totally different life, no, totally Mm -hmm. different life. What, what advice can you give people about, you know, their, their dreams and not waiting, I guess, 15 years it took you to to do this fun stuff what do you what do you tell people about about this
1: well again you know you're never going to get to where you want to go if you don't start the journey if you just sit back and wait for conditions to be perfect they're never going to be perfect there's always going to be something in life that is going to be a hindrance like honestly i'm on this call with you today uh and i've got some stuff going on right now that i i should be attending to but hey, I'm here because I made a commitment and I'm here. And I'm not here into the most perfect situation because my mind's on other things right now, honestly. Uh, So I don't even know half the things I said. I just went on kind of autopilot. Uh, I hope it was good. But um, yeah, just, you you can't, you can't, I said it during the thing, you can't dwell on what goes wrong. You gotta just, and, and there's gonna be people that sometimes appear to you and are gonna give you a hand. And there's people that are gonna appear to you and are going to be hindrances and you've got to identify those quickly and you've got to leave the ones that are a roadblock behind you and I always look there's nothing more satisfying than looking not not. I don't I don't even want to look back at times but there's nothing more satisfying than 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 overcoming an obstacle and let the, letting them deal with their emotions you know there's a couple of words that I don't use in my vocabulary. One of them, and the f- first and foremost one is hate. I will, why waste your energy on hating something, on hating someone, on hating whatever it is? Be hated, because when you're hated, that's their problem, and that's their energy that they're losing. You are free and clear. You, you don't dwell on the negativity. You don't dwell on the past. I know it sounds a lot easier said than done. But I honestly live by that. And, uh, you know, those people that that have done me wrong, that then it's funny how people do you wrong. And then they they're the ones that are offended. Right. And they're the ones that go out and talk shit, which is kind of funny. Uh, but I just I just don't dwell on that, man. I just move forward. And that goes for anything, whether it's a problem with a person or, or a failure, because, you know, you just made the wrong decision and go in the wrong direction in, in, in a career. Reset, refocus, just don't waste time. Don't waste time. We only have so many days on this earth. We only have so many breaths. That's it. I mean, think about the millennia that the world has existed. The universe has existed. The, the hundreds of millions of years or billions of years or whatever. What are we? Lasting in this, on this earth for 70, 80, 90 years, if we're lucky. We're nothing. We're a grain of sand on the beach, if that. Maybe a half a grain of sand. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Move ahead. That's, that's, uh, that's as good as it gets, buddy. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Amazing, brother. Well,
0: so listen, I know uh, we have time okay, for probably two two minutes two minutes because we got to go we're busy people and we always find time the convergence moments are are moments like these when we just make time for each other but any question i know nalisa you wanted to ask something
1: you're mute
2: can you all hear me now
0: yes Um, yeah
2: um i had a question for you because i think you, you made a comment i think a lot of people are valuing themselves based on their careers or their jobs right now. And you made, you made a point that I thought was really, really great advice. It's you kind of transitioned, like you went to your board of directors and you basically told them, this is what I need. You negotiated what your, what you need to be able to be comfortable to maintain with the company. And I think that especially right now where people are reevaluating the labor market and what jobs to take and industries, it's, How did you, what was your leverage? Like, what did you, how did that go about? Like that whole process? My, My
1: leverage, that's a simple answer. My leverage is that I'm so good at what I do that they can't live without me. Now there's people that mistake how good they are at what they do and try and use, you know, their leverage when they have none. And everyone's replaceable, remember that. And I say that as the CEO of the company, I'm replaceable. Everyone is, and I learned that from my partner, actually, when we were very young, where I had people that were cancers that I didn't wanna move out because of one reason or another. And my partner in, ingrained that in me and he was my age. We, we both gave each other a lot of wisdom. He's also a very successful guy uh, in, in many other businesses because we, you know, he's, he was with me on and off and he went off and created his own empire and real estate and, and construction and shit like that. So, But he would always tell me, hey, nobody's replaceable. And as difficult as it is at times to stay without someone in a position, you're better off without that someone in that position. If they're a problem, then getting rid of them and resetting and finding the right person. So, yeah, if if you're really good at what you do, there's, there's something that I saw the other day that was so spot on. It was the saying, I'm going to paraphrase, but was basically say, put in more than what you are paid for and you will get back more than you ever thought. In other words, you've gotta be the type of team member, the type of person that's not there to make the $50,000 a year. Produce $100,000 a year. When you produce 100,000, you're gonna get paid 100, and you're gonna get paid more because you become invaluable. And that's the trying position. And I know I'm contradicting myself. I say, nobody's replaceable. Yeah, but you could become invaluable. And, And you could, go ahead. But
2: you're like super skilled across the board. So obviously like you had leverage, but what would you say to somebody that has like no experience, but wants to learn and get that experience and has that, you know? So what's the leverage for a, a simple person to go in there and then work with their value, you think?
1: I'm going to tell you something that's pretty obvious, and but maybe, you know, it's, it's hard to understand. You've got to be, you got to go in humbly You've got to, you've got to, you might not get noticed for a year or two. You know what I'm saying? What happens nowadays is that people want that instant grat, you know, satisfaction, that instant, oh, you're so awesome. And that's unfortunately something that the youth has been ingrained in the youth for many different reasons. Listen, when I grew up and I fell off my bike and opened my knee with blood and shit, nobody was there to pick me up. I had to go to the hose, spray my hose, my blood off, wrap it with my T-shirt that I would rip a piece off of it and keep on riding back if I wanted to get home. No, my mom mom didn't have a cell phone. She wasn't going to leave work to come. So what I'm saying is we live in a much different world today. So what you need to do is you need to recalibrate what, what, you know, what every kind of like, listen, it takes time. It takes time for you to become good at what you do. Stay, stay stay, below the radar in terms of let me learn from the best people around me and let me do more than they expect. Let me show them that I am worth what I think I am worth. And you're going to define that and you will get noticed. Trust me, you will get noticed. I was always looking for that. You don't know how many receptionists in our company ended up becoming or being put in positions of management. I mean, that's something that I... I the receptionist was always the way in. If she was a, if she was good, if she answered that phone with her, I, I would call, and I still do. I call the company to see if I see the smile in her voice. I, I was receptionist. I want to see the smile. But what do you mean, see the smile? I'm on the phone. In your voice, your voice is a smile. you you, when you answer that phone, you know, tell me something off the cuff. Whatever's on your mind. It's a, it's a beautiful day at Tire Group. How may I help you today? You know, be And and that little thing, but I
2: think the answer which you just answered to my question is it really depends on the organizational culture like you sound like a great leader because you care about the people that you work with and they have an opportunity to move up within the company, but a lot of people did not see that until recently, I think, because of all of this digital transition so that it's it's basically like the way that you treat the human piece of what we are all missing like that that uh how do you so what would your advice be for maintaining those relationships that you've developed like we had I, that's why hernan is so great because we connect them you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh
1: i how don't do really all contact
2: to all these people
1: <laughs> how, how do i what
2: you contact with all these people like all of your amazing relationships, like him, him by doing things like this, by this, these kind of like
1: events. Oh, Look, I'm, I'm not really much, honestly, personally, ask her not. I'm he's invited me to a bunch of different, I'm not much of a networking guy. I'm a very private guy. I, I, I love being at home, honestly, or on my boat in the Bahamas, just all alone. That's, that's how I am. Now, how do I keep in touch? I mean, I, I always take everybody's phone call. I, I, I do reach out to friends that may be in need, maybe going through a difficult situation. Uh, for example, tonight I have my 35-year—it's uh, not really a high school reunion, but we get together every so often with that group of friends. You know, those type of things. I, I don't really go out of my way uh, to meet new people. I'm kind of at the stage of my life where I'm just happy to be, you know, and and don't want too much pressure. I got—I put plenty of pressure on myself. But I think, look, you, know, you need to find the culture that works for you, um, and, and you also need to know that you're never gonna find the perfect place. Again, being adaptive, being reactive, being malleable to a certain extent, understanding that everybody has a bad day, that you, know, that you gotta just take the good with the bad at times because you're not gonna find you know, nirvana. You're not, no, no one does. You're just going to have to adapt and, and say, hey, I'm as happy as I'm going to be. Let me bust my ass and hopefully I, not hopefully. I don't I don't believe in hopefully. I believe in put your mind to it and you will get it done. Sooner or later, it took me 15, 16 years of technically not being bankrupt on paper, but for 16 years, we were bankrupt on paper because we were so average and I never got through. I don't
0: know. No, I was gonna ask. So I know Valeria in Mexico. She had a question, and we gotta go, guys. Uh, Tony, Tony, we're we're gonna follow him and support his uh, his film, and keep supporting each other. That's an important thing. You you he said something that is critical, which is choose the people that add value to your life and get rid of the people that that don't really care about you. Right? I don't I don't hang out with people that. That don't add value to my life. That don't uh, that don't think I'm, I'm I'm valuable for them, and vice versa. I just hang out with people that I I think add value to my life. Right, uh, Valeria, go ahead.
3: No, um, it's not a question. I just wanted to tell you, um, I've been an apprentice for a long time. This has been it's not my um, area of opportunity. I mean, I'm not. It's not my interest. It's Juan Pablo's interest, but I think it's very impressive. Um, I know, I I don't know, uh, there's this phrase saying like most people, uh, the most interesting people that I know don't even know what to do at 50. And I think it's crazy because, uh, you go out of college and you think, you know, what you want to do and life changes. And thanks for sharing your, um, you know, everything you've done. Um, I, I think it's very... I don't know, it's very powerful to hear someone being like, you know, I was in this interest, industry, but I love music, and I might not be, I mean, I, I dance casino, you know what I'm talking about, so you, you you being a Cuban being like, I don't know how to dance, you know, and but, but I love music, and that doesn't stop me from writing it, and And I decided I want to make filmmaking. So um, I got into this and I did it. So that's very inspiring. And just wanted to thank you for that. And I hope Juan Pablo hears about the flexibility thing because it happens to him, he's a perfectionist. So every time he's filming something, he wants it to be perfect at the first uh, try, you know? And you talking about it, like we filmed it in 2016 and it just came out. You know, that's a lot of things to take in because when you're studying something like filmmaking, Uh, I think uh, there's not a a lot of people, uh, well, no, there's a lot of people trying it, and that's the problem, you know? You have great ideas, but there's another million of people with great ideas. So I think it's really cool what you were saying, like, you know, be patient, be flexible, because we sometimes uh, don't, we get stuck on our ideas, and the things are not happening immediately, and just wanted to thank you for that. Um, oh, you're yeah. welcome.
1: And just to add to something there where Juan Pablo, you say is a perfectionist. I i am also a perfectionist. I have obsessive compulsive disorder in terms of I've got to have everything a certain way. And that's how I, I, I'm not as bad as I used to be because with the years I've learned that that, that, that could make you sick. It really can. I, it would make me sick when I was in my twenties because I want everything to be so perfect the first fucking time and if it wasn't it would destroy me and you know again this conversation could be a lot longer I ended up in the hospital with chest pains at the age of 23 20, just because everything wasn't working the way I I wanted it to work around me and I was overwhelmed and so one of the things you've got to learn is how to deal with the fact that you're going to be disappointed every once in a while. Things aren't going to always be the way you want them to be. The pen isn't going to be straight on the desk like you left it the night before because the cleaning lady came and touched it and it doesn't, can't, doesn't have to drive you crazy. So I always say to my wife, half kidding, whenever, you know, she, she does something to piss me off, or I, I guess I'm going to just have to live with disappointment, you know, and it's kind of a joke. It's, it's from a movie. I forgot the movie now, but I've learned how to live with disappointment to a certain extent. So that's something, Juan Pablo, you got to you gotta take with a grain of salt. Strive to be the best, but learn that you got to be adaptive. All right, guys. I, I really Tony, guys, to thank now. you. Thank you, brother. love you.
0: We'll talk to you Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Uh, we'll okay? Thank you. Bye-bye.